We're right in the middle of a sermon series in Ephesians. We're in Ephesians 4, 1 to 10. If you'd like a Bible, an usher will bring you one if you raise your hand. If you would like to read the Bible on your smartphone, go ahead. Tablet, go ahead. If you've memorized the Bible, you can recall it to your memory. There's lots of options for you this morning. We're looking at the book of Ephesians through the lens of what it tells us about being a healthy church body with Jesus Christ as the head. This is a concept we get from Scripture, actually from, from Ephesians. It's a biological metaphor that we are the body of Christ and that he is the head and that all of us are growing together into the head who is Jesus as each part does its work right down to every supporting ligament. That is the vision of this sermon series and that is what we are looking at. Uh, I'm a big classical music fan. I really enjoy it, sometimes in small doses, but sometimes I'm really in the mood and I like to put on some classical music. Uh, So I'd like to play for you two very profoundly interesting uh, renditions of a song. Uh, It's not very long, but Rick, our media man back there, is going to pull up a clip for us, and then another clip. And these are just two very interesting performances, and I want you to take special note of them.
turn it off, turn it off. So what do you see as being the notable differences between those two clips? What's that? Talent, okay. Are you sure that none of the musicians are talented in the video? She thinks they're all talented in their own special way. <laughs> Unity makes all the difference. Unity will make or break any group trying to do something. And it's especially evident in this awful video, especially seeing the two contrasted. There very well may have been some very talented musicians in that second orchestra, but it does not matter if there are talented musicians in that orchestra because the group is not playing in unity. In an organization, in a church body, unity will make or break us in our mission or lack thereof. Unity or lack thereof will make or break us. There could be some very talented ministers in this church and people with a lot of passion. But without unity of the body, moving towards what God is calling us to, it's going to sound like that. Maybe you'll see a glimmer of a musician that might be playing the right notes at the right time. But what really counts is the whole picture. Our mission in this church is to share the love of Christ with Saratoga Springs, to share about the, the free gift of salvation through grace that we've all come to know. Something that you don't work for, but something you receive um, and turn to Christ and be filled with the Spirit. Our mission is to then disciple those who God brings in. And disciple them, meaning teach them the ways of Christ. As Jesus said, baptize them, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And I am with you unto the end of the age. That's what Jesus said. We are to share the love of God, and then we are to bring them in and disciple them. And then eventually, those people will make disciples of their own, and so on and so forth. Unity is how we do it. Everyone playing together. Uh, the song. We want to be a church where we raise up new generations of believers in Christ who are using their gifts and being discipled, and then they in turn disciple their friends. We don't think much sometimes of young people and what they can do. The world doesn't. The world looks at kids and says, you know, if you're done messing around when you're about 30, 35, then you're an adult and you can start doing real ministry. But this, these kids... They're real. We have disciples of Christ in this church who are kids. They're following him, using their gifts, and they are chomping at the bit. And I, I, I almost see them chomping at the bit more than the adults sometimes. They are chomping at the bit to use their gifts. I am so blessed to see Grace play the piano. It's so beautiful. What a blessing that is. Um, Jonah Davison, uh, chomping at the bit to run the PowerPoint and the computers. Incredibly talented, absolutely ready to go. And we are going to be training him and equipping him to do that. Just chomping at the bit to serve and love. Uh, the kids that in our Sunday school program bring their friends to church sometimes. And then after a while, the parents come, and then they're coming to church and being discipled. 
the kids are, are just an amazing thing. That's one of the things we're doing as a church, raising up this generation. So sharing the love of Christ, uh, reaching out, making disciples of everyone, teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded. This is uh, what we're doing as a church. And, if, and it's not going to work unless we have unity. No one wants to listen to that second clip. Let's read through our scripture. Please read with me. The Apostle Paul. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I love Paul because he doesn't say, as a prisoner of the Roman government, I call you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Paul didn't think that he was being imprisoned by the government, which he was. He was put in jail for sharing the gospel, for causing disturbance socially and politically in Rome, so he was put in jail. The Jews wanted him in jail. The government wanted him in jail. Everyone wanted Paul in jail. But he says he's a prisoner for the Lord. Some translations say of the Lord. Because Paul did not believe that prison could hold him if God didn't want him in there. It's pretty cool. He had this vision of God's power and sovereignty. He said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm not a prisoner of anyone else. And if I'm here, then God has something for me to do here. That's an interesting perspective. That would be an interesting perspective to bring to our smaller struggles that we have. Uh, some of us are not very happy with where we are in life. Maybe we don't have the relationships we want. Maybe we are, don't have the job we want. Maybe we, we just desire something. And we think, I'm just sort of a prisoner of my bad fortune. This is awful. But you know, maybe we just need to believe in God's power and see what he will do. I'm in the Lord's will it might be painful. It might include suffering. But God is with me in the darkness. Uh, Jesus, I guess, is the model of our faith. He followed the Lord's will perfectly. He suffered. He died. He resurrected. But he suffered. John the Baptist, he suffered just for saying the right stuff to people, for doing what God told him to do. Told him to do. All these people the people in the book of Acts, when they were persecuted, they were suffering. People were getting stoned and dragged out and beaten. They got together into this house and they said, let's have a prayer meeting. And they didn't pray for protection. They prayed for boldness to continue the mission because they knew they were doing God's will. Interesting perspective. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, for the Lord. Don't worry, I'm not going to do this with every word in the text. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The calling is to Jesus Christ. Through faith, by grace, a child of God, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, and he's quoting here, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? 
He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So in looking at this concept of unity, which is what the thrust of this passage is, the first thing I want you to see is that unity is not something that we manufacture. Unity is not something we manufacture. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It doesn't say, make every effort to create unity through the bond of peace. Different translations make it even more starkly clear, and the original language makes it very clear. This is talking about unity as being a gift to the church from God. Interesting. Interesting concept. Unity is like someone giving you a brand new car. You stop, you're, you're like, wow, this is amazing. I've been given this amazing gift to get from A to B. But what happens if you stop putting oil and gasoline in it? Don't keep the tires properly inflated. Well, the amazing gift that you got, you still have it, but it ain't working for you. That's what unity is like. Unity is a gift from God. That's his part. He gives it. He gives it freely. And I don't say it just from this one isolated verse, verse 3. I want to take you to this super-duper confusing end of this passage. You, I imagine that as we were reading it, if you were paying attention, you were like, oh, this is good, I get it, I get it, I get it. And then you go to verse uh, 8 through 10. I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. What is this talking about? <laughs> and uh, that's what I thought. And that's what many theologians think. I I've, I've read that it was said, this is one of the hardest things to understand in this text, this section right here. But this is a section that actually reinforces this idea that unity is a gift of God for us. If you look at verse 8, it's quoting Psalm 68:18. It's a psalm of David. Uh, and again, in our text, it's quoted as, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And then Paul goes on to say, and what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order that he might fill the whole universe. So without having a background, you know, the, the, the stories in your mind that are very important shape how you think, okay? The stories in our minds that are very important shape how you think. The most, what is the most important story in the minds of ancient people, ancient Jewish people? What's their most important story that shaped their way of thinking? Can you think of the most important story for the Jewish people? The Exodus. When God, after hundreds of years of being enslaved to the Egyptians, he heard the cries of his people. And he, though, though Pharaoh was very stubborn, eventually got his people free in Exodus. And, and then we see God's people, you know, a little while later, he's leading them to the promised land through the desert. They start complaining, and they just have all kinds of trouble. They end up wandering around for 40 years. But one of the things that happened during that 40-year time, in Exodus 20, Moses ascends to the top of Mount Sinai, and he meets with, the, with God, the Lord, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, he meets with God at the top of Mount Sinai, and he hangs out with God for a, number, for a long time, actually. But then uh, God kind of gives him some cliff notes in case he forgot 
what uh, God talked about. He chiseled into the, into the stone tablets the Ten Commandments. And then Moses descended from Mount Sinai and brought the tablets to the people. Of course, they were worshiping a golden calf by this time. He'd been gone for more than two days. So this is, <laughs> they're very much like us in their ability to be faithful. So Moses smashes those guys. And then in Exodus 33, he goes back up and gets some more. Awesome. Um, I guess there was a return policy on that. God was gracious is what happened. I want you to think for a moment. Uh, this, this Psalm 68 is a Psalm of David. and It's talking about God. Um, here, Paul takes that psalm and he reimagines it being about Christ by the, by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. But both Paul and David would have had in mind, when we talk about ascending and descending, Moses ascending to God on Mount Sinai and then coming back down. So that is the backstory for this confusing section of Scripture. It talks about ascending and descending. Now, what was the purpose of the law that Moses went up and got for the people? Real question. To show our sin. Yes, the law makes us conscious of sin. What else? It's, um, there's a lot of stuff in there. Not just the Ten Commandments, but dietary restrictions, things you should wear or not to wear, how to deal with mold, all kinds of interesting stuff in the law. Moses, Moses kind of got this stuff from God. And the purpose of the law was so that God's people would be unified. They'd have unity under God so that everyone who looked at God's people would see what God was like. That was the purpose of the law, to provide unity to God's people so that when people looked at God's people, they'd see what God was like. That they didn't a lot of the Ten Commandments are directly in response to the pagan practices of the day. So things that the pagans did, who worshipped many, many other gods, by pagan I mean non-Christian, people that were not uh, following uh, God, Yahweh, but following many false gods, a lot of the Ten Commandments are set up in opposition to that so that anyone who looks at the people of God says there's something different about these people. They serve a different God, and they might even see through everyone following these commandments this unified vision of who God is. Because God's plan in choosing, choosing Israel was never to bless Israel alone. God's plan for choosing Israel was to be a sign to the world. He chose them. He said to Abraham, all of the nations of the earth should be blessed through you if you follow me. So the purpose of the law was unity. Well, in what way is Paul talking about Jesus here? Uh, it says that Jesus ascended on high. And then he, uh, not only did he ascend in verse 9, he also descended to the lower earthly regions. Jesus descended into the grave for three days. And he rose again, and he ascended to the right hand of God, and then he sent his Holy Spirit down to his people. This is the story that we call Easter and, and the book of Acts, uh, Pentecost. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, I'm, go I'm not going to be here for much longer. It's for your good that I'm leaving because when I leave, I'm going to send the comforter, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit to you. And you are going to be much better off having me, my spirit in you, than having me here physically with you in one limited to one body. So Jesus descended into the grave, rose again, 
hung out for, for like 40 days, and then ascended to God's right hand, and then sent the Spirit at Pentecost. And why did God send the Spirit? Unity. So that the whole world would know. That's why God sent the Holy Spirit. The same reason that, that God sent the law down the mountain with Moses was to unify the people and show the nations around them, this is who our God is, and you're welcome to come and be blessed by this God. And they, they didn't do so great with that mission all the time, but they did do it okay some of the time. God is gracious. He's still gracious. God, when Jesus ascended on high, he sent his spirit down to us. And it says in verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. It says it very explicitly. The unity that, the unity that we have is not something that we drum up. It's a gift. It's something we've been given and something that we then have a part in maintaining. So it's a car, but you've got to put gas in this thing. That's what we're talking about here. Does that make sense? All this? It's very inter- it's interesting to me. I, I <laughs> All right. So what is our part in unity? How do we maintain the unity that we already have through the Holy Spirit? It says, be completely humble. The definition of this from the original language is an entirely lowly attitude in relation with fellow Christians. Is that easy for you? <laughs> Are you a pretty humble person? Are you more humble than anyone else? It's a joke. An entirely lowly attitude in relation with fellow Christians. Philippians 2 talks about Jesus. You should take the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, who, though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. In humility, be like Christ and consider other people better than yourselves. Right now, if you were to just have an automatic thought in your mind, think of someone in the church who isn't as spiritual as you. You have someone in your mind. Think of someone who just doesn't get it, and you do. Exactly, right? It's in our heart. We just can't help it. Not me, because I'm the pastor. I'm perfect. Um, In humility, consider other people better than yourself, because this is how we maintain unity. If all of us are being lowly and and we're not being self-deprecating, we're looking upon ourselves with sober judgment and saying, you know, this is realistically who I am, and other people, they might have something to offer too. Um, Because I was saved by grace, and I live by grace, Perhaps I should uh, live with that gratitude. Think about if you were in jail for a time and you had a, they said, yeah, it's going to be six months to two years. We'll see how it goes. And then the judge decides to release you at three months. What's your attitude going to be like? Lowly and humble. God has forgiven us of a debt we can't repay. And we forget that. And then we get puffed up and we start looking at other people and saying like, you know, I got my stuff together. You should be discipled by me, you know? In humility, consider others better than yourself. That's the attitude of Christ. And Christ was not self-deprecating. He was confident. He was bold. He was assertive. But he was lowly in this kind of way. Um, he had a sober view of himself, and he, uh, he expressed this attitude perfectly. Uh, so the next part of this, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Patience means being long rather than short-tempered. Can we relate to this? Long-tempered, short-tempered? The fuse on a dynamite kapow? I was so exhausted 
Sunday night of last week. And Monday, uh, we went to that new house to paint because it's kind of consuming when you buy a new house. You have so much to do. It's rather overwhelming. I wanted nothing more than to just sleep or something, you know. Uh, so we went to the house. We're painting. I'm just exhausted. We had the kids with us, two, a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and then the new baby, seven weeks old. And uh, it's, not, it's not by any means an excuse that I was so tired. I'm not saying that. But the kids, like, were knocking over paint and, like, putting their feet in paint, like, walking around and stuff like that. And it was just very frustrating to me. I got so frustrated. And because I was so frustrated, I gave myself permission at one point. I, I was, like, in the bathroom with them. And I said, um, I said, just get out! Just like that. It was awful. It was awful. I don't like to see that in myself. Do you guys relate to that, or am I just a horrible sinner? All right. I am a horrible sinner, but you relate to it because you are too. Um, so what did I do? Well, instantly I felt remorse. That's a gift. Conscience, the Holy Spirit, some combination of the two. I brought my kids up and I, I said, I'm just so sorry. I shouldn't have yelled at you. There's no excuse for that. You can stay in here. I just need you to like go in the other room. And I was all calm with them. I said, can you guys forgive me? And, and of course, you know, Olivia's like, yeah. I didn't even phase her. She talks at that volume all the time, so she probably thought I was just talking to her. But, you know, I like that. That's a good way. I, I want my kids to learn to apologize when they're wrong, and so I like to apologize to my kids when I'm wrong. It's something that's important to me. And uh, we had good hugs, and then I improved my attitude because it became very lowly in spirit the rest of the day. And really, I've, I've been feeling pretty lowly all week, to tell you the truth. So that's being patience, being long rather than short-tempered. I love the definition of um, uh, making every, every effort to keep uh, uh, bearing one another in love. I love the definition of bearing with one another in love. It literally translates to putting up with one another in love. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Forbearance seasoned with love. So this is a pretty, pr- pretty cool quality. We're like, you know what? Even if you have a hard time with someone, I'm going to be patient and I'm going to love them, and I'm going to consider this God working in my heart because maybe I'm the jerk in this situation, okay? That's a good thing. So we're not just putting up with people. I, I love it, like the, the tolerance bumper stickers. It's like, I don't want to just be tolerated. I want to be loved. I, don't, I mean, I want to love people with different thoughts than me, not just tolerate them. What an awful thing to be tolerated. Wouldn't it be nicer just to love people and uh, be patient with them if you disagree with them and just season that relationship with love? That's a pretty good idea. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is our part. We're eager, eager to preserve and practice unity in the church. And this is the way we do it, uh, through practicing these qualities. There is one body and one Spirit. This is unity language. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and all in all. This is an expression of unity. So God's part, unity is a gift. We've been given unity. We've been given the car. Our part, to practice these qualities, being patient, bearing with one another in love, being humble and gentle like Jesus. And if we do these things, the gas will be in our car, the oil will be in our car, the tires will be properly inflated, and we will show the world uh, God's glory through our unity. But one thing I want you to notice is uh, unity is something is is in itself 
something that's produced by the Holy Spirit. We cannot actually cultivate very easily in ourselves these kinds of qualities. We can try to be more patient. We can try to, bear, to put up with one another in love. Uh, we can try to be humble and gentle. But ultimately, these are gifts too. And our part is seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and goodness. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. They are what grow in a person who has the Holy Spirit. And every person who knows Christ has a deposit of the Spirit within them. But we need to ask the Spirit to fill us afresh daily. We need, we are leaky vessels. We need God to grow these qualities in us because that is the real deal. So God's part, he gives us unity. Our part, we ask God to help us have unity by giving us his Spirit. So what we're doing is, it's all God's work. This is all God's work, but we are intentional in the midst of it. You know, does that make sense? Does that make sense? Here's two things we can take away from this sermon. Pray for unity in this church. Pray for unity for this body that we call new life. This is our home. We want to do our mission to share the love of God, to make disciples who make disciples, to raise up a generation of Christ followers. We can't do it if our symphony stinks. Even with a bunch of virtuoso musicians in the crowd, there's no microphone of that guy. All they can hear is the total picture. If it ain't pretty, it ain't pretty. Pray for unity. It's what Jesus prayed for at the end of his earthly mission. Jesus prayed uh, that those who would believe in him would have what he and the Father had from the beginning, that we might be brought into complete unity so that the world may know that God sent Jesus. This, was, this is Jesus' theology. This is how the world knows, by the, by the church being unified. And that's what Jesus prayed with his last breath towards the end of his life. So shouldn't we pray this prayer too? Seems like a good, seems like a fruitful prayer. It's God's will because God prayed it. The second thing, maintain the unity we already have been given through the Holy Spirit by guarding ourselves and our community. Be filled and refilled with the Spirit. It's a work of God from first to last. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And they are going to play uh, lightly in the background here. Uh, in the Didache, it's an ancient church document. The first century church, the first like 50, first 100 years of the church. I, I don't remember. Um, some of you history buffs would know. But they had an order of, of worship that the early church followed. And one of the things that the communion meal symbolized to them was we who are many pieces come together as one loaf in fellowship. So it's about, it's a, the theme of unity. And so, you know, when we break the bread, we are scattering. Now, we're not going to be here all the time. Um, we scatter. We, we leave today. We go about our business. We do what we need to do. But we come back together as a church. And that's what the symbolism is here. The, the one loaf scatters. And that's what we're going to be doing uh, symbolizing the fact that we are one body in Christ. And as we rip a little piece off of this, we, we remember we're scattering for this week, but we're going to come back together in the loaf. I'm going to invite the ushers to come and distribute the elements, the bread and the wine. The bread symbolizes the body broken for us. And when we break that bread, we remember that Jesus' body was broken so that we can have peace with God through Jesus. Uh, his body was broken. He was buried and ascended and sent his spirit that we might have unity. His body was broken for the church so that we could show Jesus to the world.
The cup symbolizes the blood, the shed blood of Jesus. And the idea with blood, you know, is that it's a covering. It's an atonement. Atonement means covering for our sin. So when we drink from the cup, we remember that Jesus' blood was spilled for us and that his blood covers our sin. So when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, not our sin. Not only does he see an empty account, he sees the the credit of Jesus' righteousness on our lives. It's an amazing truth that we grapple with at the table. If you are not a believer, it just doesn't make any sense for you to take up the table. So, you know, take, it off, take, a, take a week off from that. Uh, if you are a believer, um, this is for you. If you'd like to become a believer, <laughs> you should do that because this is the real deal. Church would be awful boring for me, even as a pastor. You think I like this, right? I do. But it'd be awful boring if God wasn't real, right? He is real. He's living and active. Uh, Jesus really came and died, really. And his power is really in the church. And he is really doing amazing things in the church. He is, he is real. Um, I just implore you. Now is the day of salvation. It's as simple as recognizing that you have sinned. Everyone knows that. We're all broken. I told you about my sin. We're all broken. And that Jesus covers our sin through his death on the cross. And we believe that God raised him from the dead. And we live our lives underneath the lordship of Jesus, following new orders underneath the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's what this symbolizes. So if that's you, pray and receive the Lord. Come and talk to me. God died so that we could be in, all of us who looked at Jesus in faith. Because of God's great love for us, God sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins so that any of us can come directly to him through Jesus' blood and broken body. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God is rich in mercy. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Take and eat of the body. The blood of Jesus speaks to you. Poetically. Anytime your heart accuses you of your past sins. Anytime you feel condemnation on you. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The blood that Jesus shed for you speaks to all those voices whenever your heart condemns you and says, no, actually this person's covered. This person's mine. Take and drink the juice. We are thankful, Father, for your great love for us, for sending Christ, for giving us the Spirit, for giving us the gift of unity. Allow us to steward this gift well, Lord. Let us be filled with the Spirit. Let each person who is in this building right now be filled with your Holy Spirit. Let the fruit of your Spirit spring up in our lives. And let the world come to know Jesus through our unity. In the name of Christ. To the God who is able to do immeasurably more than you can hope or imagine. Through his riches in Christ Jesus, I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. To be the church unified under Jesus. You are dispersed. Go and be the church.